0: Welcome to the podcast, The Objects That Made Us. I'm Amy Sim. In every episode of this podcast, I will be inviting a guest to share with us a personal object and the story behind it. These stories will offer glimpses of Singapore's past, weaving together a tapestry of our collective memories. We are with Cynthia Wee today. And first of all, could you
1: introduce yourself? I am Cynthia Wee Hofer. Wehofer is my maiden and married name. I'm married to a German and I have been a journalist most of my life, 10 years fully employed and the rest of the time I was freelancing. I still contribute and I'm a prolific contributor on Facebook for my travels.
0: Great. And we know that you've got uh, very rich collections here at home. You know, you've got beautiful fabrics and books and lots of different crafts and arts. So what have you got to share with us today?
1: Well, if we're talking about objects of the past, I would say the three batik sarongs given to me by my mother. And they meant so much to me because they are about more than 100 years old. She died at the age of 71, the same age that I am now. Adding her years and all, it's more than 100 years old. So it means a lot to me. I wear those batik pieces. They are blue, indigo blue and white. One is geometric and the other one is kind of geometric floral patterns. And they are meant for mourning because we are Pranakan Chinese or nonyas as they call it. So she left behind this culture, basically. I grew up being a nonya in a neighbourhood in Katong, which is predominantly mixed of our type of people. I don't speak Chinese at home because we didn't have the environment. When I went to school, I learned Malay as a second subject. My sisters tried Chinese. They failed miserably. And so my mother decided that to save me from all the punishment of trying to put me in a Malay section. We speak mostly in English at home among siblings and with my father who was educated in English at Victoria School. My mother, unfortunately, being a woman of like during the war period and growing up mostly as an orphan brought up by her uncle, she was not educated, but she tried to learn to read the alphabets. And in the end, she succeeded in reading the Malay literature of the Chinese classics in like a furnitized Malay. And these are well-known classics among the Pranakan community. They are almost like antiques, too. Nobody reads them anymore.
0: What classics are there?
1: The Three oh. Kingdoms, Journeys to the West, Love Stories. So she read some of those. They all had Chinese titles, too.
0: Yeah. Cynthia, can you tell us a little bit about, you, you, you mentioned these fabrics were worn by your mother, um, for Monet. Can you tell us a bit more, like what she would wear together with the sarong? Um And have you seen her wearing it before? What occasion was it?
1: The batiks I'm referring to are indigo blue and white. These are the mourning colours. And they mourned from, say, three months to six months, depending on the relationship with the deceased. And I have seen her wearing these with silver jewellery because you need to have the pins to button up your kabaya top. And some of them are like very faint, light colours, pastels. And she would wear like pearl earrings because that is the etiquette of attending a funeral. So
0: no gold, right?
1: No gold. So I was very young at that time. So normally children do not follow parents to wakes or so. So I might have seen her, but I don't recall in my mind. So
0: she would be wearing the sarong to the wake? Yes. Right, right, okay. And how did it get to you? Did your mother pass it on? Like, fabrics to you or,
1: you know? It landed in my possession. I don't know through what may- way. Maybe after she passed on and her belongings were sorted and cleared that I might have said, okay, I want this. And being the youngest, and I was given this three pieces. One is a colourful one. And in fact, from my father... Who passed away three years before her I managed to get all his old baggy shorts and baggy pants Because they were trendy at that time It was the Annie Hall look of the 1970s When she, Diana Keaton and Woody Allen That was at that time of So I grabbed those because they were trendy Along with the neckties That's really
0: cool You
1: mentioned a little bit about the geographic
0: patterns and we can see three fabrics here today, right? Two blue and white ones. One is more kind of floral plants. The other one is like geometric. Do you know the significance of these motifs? And I think you mentioned that they're quite special, especially the geometric one. Can you tell us a little bit more?
1: They are actually rather rare because the geometric patterns you hardly see in any batik production. And I have even shown this to Indonesian lady who owns Batik Workshop and she was equally surprised. In fact, she borrowed it from me to reproduce, which is really nice. The other pattern is block print, also geometric on a white background. Indigo blue prints and the third one is on a white background with deep red panels of floral motifs and these are typically Bekalongan style batik from Indonesia.
0: And the floral one, do you know when your mother will be wearing them? Because those are not the blooming
1: colours, right? When it's brand new, I guess she wore them to go out to luncheons or birthdays and weddings and matched with equally bright colours, tops. What accessories would
0: she be wearing?
1: She would be wearing the kerosang, which are the three-pin brooches in gold, I guess. And she would have jewellery of brighter colours definitely not moaning, and she would wear her beaded slippers. I didn't inherit those, but they are all part of the culture of my upbringing.
0: Would she be wearing, like, kabaya every day?
1: Funnyly, I saw a photograph of her this morning in 1947, a group photo in front of a temple at Utram Road. Today was being Visak Day, so I pointed out to my sister a photograph, and she pointed out my mother. In there, and she was wearing a chongsam that went over her knee. That surprised me because I don't recall her wearing that at all. Most of the time, she would wear the samfu at home, very casual, going to the market. And occasionally, she'll wear her sarong kebaya when she's going out, if she's in full kit. But normally, it's a samfu because it's more practical. Yes.
0: So sarong Kabaya is more for occasion when she goes shopping or when she goes social events? It's
1: more social where they dress up.
0: Would she be like tying her hair up in a bun or like?
1: No, she had her hair cut short. There was a photograph of her in the younger days in a bun, but as far as I remember her later years, she had her hair cut short.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you remember like where she got the fabric from? Did she buy them from a particular shop?
1: Most of the time, the ladies would go to Arab Street to get their batik cloths and the rubias, the Swiss foil, to make into their embroidered kebaya tops. I remember being dragged to Arab Street to Basharrahil Hill Brothers with my aunts for them to buy their batiks. Because I was the youngest in a family of more than 10 children, I maybe got immersed in the culture. Every time I go there... I'm bribed to silence while the ladies will banter with the salesman. And he would bring out reams of batiks, pieces that come out from boxes, and he would open them up, flap them, and then there's a smell of batik a wax in the air. And then ladies would ooh and ah, and they would Deride pieces, they would bring some. It was really a showmanship. It was like theatre also. Because in the end, I mean, in spite of hours spent, they would just leave the shop with maybe two or one batik piece each. How did
0: your mom and aunties bribe you, you know, while they look at marble that are these fabrics and do their bargaining?
1: I guess I was an obedient child, but you know, sometimes I would grumble and then the shopkeeper would bring me a bottle of uh, red lion orange soda. And that was a treat. And that kept me quiet for a bit.
0: (laughs) Were you in awe of the fabric at that time? How old were you then? Did that kind of cultivate your interest in, in fabric and fashion? I mean, knowing that you went into
1: fashion later on. I don't know. I was probably preschool. That's why I was dragged to all the shopping because my sisters were all in school and my brother. So that would say about five years old. Because I went into school at the age of six, that was how I really appreciated Batik and the colours, the prints. I didn't know the technical parts of it. I didn't know significance of motifs or flowers or so, but it grew later on. And then I started getting interested and reading more and researched more, visiting workshops in Indonesia. That's how it got into the fabric
0: did she have any sort of special preferences for motives and colours and styles?
1: Like typical Nonya lady, she favors the plural bouquets of pekalongan in their bright colours, light pastel backgrounds, birds, butterflies.
0: When you look at these fabrics, what kind of memory do they bring back and you know what are the significance of these objects? Because you were saying, yo, these are not really expensive fabric, but to
1: you, they are priceless, right? Yeah, my parents were from a very modest background. My mother was a housekeeper, and my father worked as a clerk in a land office. At that time, it was the British government. And we were not rich. We didn't get really priceless inheritance. So these cloths are precious to me because... It represents culture, it represents their way of life, it represents how much they could afford at that time.
0: And what are the changes do you see, like, you know, from your memory, like the Pranakan household and your way of living comparing to nowadays? Like, what are some of the changes you observe?
1: Okay, family is very important in most homes, right? In the Pranakan living environment, you get the free flow of cousins, Aunties, grandparents, even neighbors, you know, who have become very, very close, almost like a family, which is missing now. Okay. They gossip, but they admire people openly. They will say, Oh, you have something beautiful. Your money, money slippers. Did you make it yourself? And they will praise and where praise is due. At the same time, they can have very barbed tongue. I must say that the women were always resourceful. My mother could sew. In fact, she helped me make trousers. And same with the aunts, you know. They all had some skills, embroidery or cooking. They don't go out to buy clothes so easily. You know, this is a luxury to get your set of clothes for Chinese New Year or for a wedding or some celebration but we don't have the fast fashion you just don't readily go out and buy something you know, a lot of thought goes into it and these are all precious they are folded neatly, ironed, starched folded to be brought out and their jewellery are kept in tissue paper hidden between folds of batik cloths along with their money and I guess they try to impart this on the children so I learned a lot from that, you know to be more discerning.
0: Why do they wrap it in tissue paper? I have that memory too of my grandparents like putting things like jewelry in tissue paper and then storing somewhere. I don't mm-hmm. know actually why they do
1: that. I'm not sure too because maybe tissue paper at that time when you go to the stores, if you go to Robinsons and all, they wrap things in tissue paper so that is a touch of luxury, looks, and maybe that was saved and that's what they wrap their things in.
0: Probably. Does your mom use some fabrics to make her own kind of design? Because I mean she wears the traditional kabaya with the sarong, which you know, done in a very traditional way. Does she try to kind of innovate and do some different style and sew some clothes for herself or for the kid?
1: No, for herself she was quite straightforward, very simple in her dressing. But I remember she used to buy like yards of fabric from stores like Metro and Ichigoya, I think there was a Japanese store. She would buy yards of those and she would sew for the girls' dresses, frocks, exactly the same patterns, different sizes, and for my brother, the shirt. So that's for Chinese New Year or to the temple, to visa Day, and we were all trot out in the same look. So that was very resourceful too and she sewed them all. We only started going to tailors when we were working, but... She didn't sew my father's clothes, I must say. That's a different set of skills, I guess.
0: Yeah, so every time when you look at this fabric and kerong-sang that uh, your mother left, does it make you feel close to her again? And it really brings back the warmth of your mother and the life in the past.
1: Okay, I see the link in the dressing, but the main thing is the language too. The baba patois that she spoke to us with and among her siblings, among the aunties and all. So without that, I would have not picked up the language. And that's why it's so important to the Pranakans now that they are losing this language, that you are trying to retain it. She imparted that to me. Cooking, I used to help her to pound sambal blachan, used to help her to clean the tauge, bean sprouts, tails. Going to the market, I was the youngest, so I was always with her. And I experienced a lot of the ugliness of marketing the chickens being slaughtered, some really gruesome sights of bats. You know, people ate bats at that time and frog. So nowadays, I don't think you get those children seeing all this because that's the reality. And I'm not afraid of wet markets because of that. Some people absolutely hate going to those. Like I said, I learned preparing pranakan food in the way through just observation. She never sort of said, okay, here's a recipe, do this. And I guess if you know the taste and you want to recreate it, you can do it. I sometimes call upon my older cousins, my sisters to recall. Was there a recipe book that your mother had? She couldn't write. So I guess that was lost.
0: Do you think like your kind of career later on working on like fashion magazine, was that sort of interest in fashion kind of cultivated since young, kind of watching your mom, your aunties shopping and getting dressed up and things like that?
1: That's a very tough thing to attribute. Actually, that's a point to think about. I'm not sure about that. It could have, you know, sublime influence. But as a teenager, you know, you were influenced by outside forces. You saw the pop singers, you see TV, you watch movies, you get all these outside influences. And that must have also given me a different impetus to follow fashion.
0: Yeah, I'm just wondering whether interest in details might have come from observations when you were young because there's a lot more details, right, in fabrics, in the jewelries, in the Peranakan culture. It's very intricate and full of these small, beautiful details.
1: Yes, that could be true. If you do embroidery, if you do beading, you know, those are the minute points, the colours. She does beading. I've watched, but I have not taken it up, you know, because it's too minute, Yes, because of those, your sense of colour and mixing and matching is heightened. Because she sews, uh, precision is important. But cooking is also free-flowing. So she cooks mostly to feed us, but also mainly for my father to please him.
0: So Sinti, you, do you wear this, your mom's sarong every now and then? And why do you like to put them on?
1: I wear them because... It is part of my heritage, my Pranakan heritage. I've seen my mother and my aunts wearing and they look so elegant, colorful, and it sets them apart from a lot of people. So I wear the kabayas to put myself apart. When I go abroad, I will wear the sarong kabaya and the slippers. And it gives me a different feeling. As I wear the kebaya and close it with the three-pin kerongsang brooches, which has its own sets of rules to make it even, and then I spray on the small amount of Chanel Number no. Five perfume, which was her favorite, that made me recapture those glorious moments. And it makes me feel different when I walk in those closed kebayas and sarongs. It makes me feel like a woman of a certain time. Certain place, but at the same time, I'm very proud of my heritage and to show off.
0: The objects that made us is produced and hosted by Amy Sim and Yap Siew Chong. Music and sound design by Manjik Tan. Translated by Lim Wan Wan and Lim Hui Sin. This podcast is made possible with the support of the National Heritage Board. Thank you for listening.